Hey, thanks for checking out The Best Kind. This is a series where we learn from Baltimore's helpers and we explore their journeys in kindness, trying to find things that we can all pick out that we can use to make our lives better and the lives of people around us. I'm Josh Morgan, and in this episode, I'll be talking with Damien Housling. So Damien is someone who went through a long period of homelessness, but with the help of others, he got out and he went on to co-found the Baltimore Furniture Bank to help other people in situations like his. Let's get into it. The Best Kind is on YouTube. If you'd like to watch the video version of the conversation with Damien, or if you prefer to listen to the audio version, you can check out the Best Kind podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also recommend if you'd like to follow along for new episodes and get regular updates on what the guests of The Best Kind are up to, you can go to bestkindpod.com, which is the show's website, and you can sign up for the email newsletter. That's where I'll be publishing all the updates uh, from our guests, you know, as different things develop uh, with their causes or with their organizations, whatever the case may be. And I may occasionally have bonus episodes. I plan to stick to a monthly schedule the 15th of every month. But if you'd like to make sure you get those updates, uh, sign up for the email newsletter at bestkindpod.com. If you also, if you have any comments on this episode, or if you think of any suggestions for people in the Baltimore city area that you'd like for me to talk to, I'd love to hear those. So uh, hit the website and uh, send me something through the contact link and I'll try my best to make it happen. Uh, but for now, put on this episode in the background of whatever you're up to and enjoy the show. So because this is a new podcast, I feel like I should talk a little bit about my vision for this project. I mean, I, I've done that a little already. I, I released a two minute trailer uh, before I published this episode. You can check the feed for that. I feel like I summarized uh, my thoughts on what I'd like to do with the best kind pretty well there. But I mean, there's there's also one more argument I'd like to make that I didn't make in that trailer. Um, first, I'm going to grab something from the shelf uh, behind me. So just a second. a little awkward to make look graceful, <laughs> but so I have started putting together a collection of items behind me. Um, I'm, I guess I'm calling it like a shrine of kindness. These are items uh, for things I'm, I'm going to be keeping uh, that either represent the kinds of people who have impacted my life, um, especially if they changed how I treat myself or how I see other people that expanded my view of humanity or, you know, gifts from individuals that I've taught with over the years, like some of the people that I admire and that have inspired me. Um, and I'll be adding to it over time. Anyway, uh, the point is, uh, back to my argument. I, I don't really use social media a lot anymore, especially not Twitter. I, I got rid of my uh, personal Twitter account, but back when I was using it, I was keeping uh, tabs on uh, a friend of mine, uh, following a friend of mine. His name's Christian. Uh, he's a surgeon here in Baltimore, and uh, he shares a lot of my same viewpoints as far as like how we think of others. Like he's also one of those unseen 
uh, unsung helpers in Baltimore city. And I would just like to read the tweet. I have it framed here cause it's my favorite tweet. Um, and I'll put it on the screen as well. Uh, if you're watching the video version, but I'll read it. Uh, Christian says I'm a single issue voter and that issue is giving a shit about other people. And that sort of sums up my point of view about humanity. Like I'm, I'm one of those silly people that sees intrinsic value in everybody just by virtue of them being on this planet. And I, I know there's a group of people in Baltimore city. They get out of bed every day because they see the same thing in other people. Now that's not to say like people that would, that I would consider helpers. You know, everybody has off days. Everybody gets, mad when they get caught off in traffic or, you know, the, their various arguments and disputes, like nobody's perfect. And I don't think that's what I mean when I call someone a helper, like no one's like, we make saints out of our heroes, but the people that walk among us that are living and breathing, like everybody that, that we're surrounded by, we're all capable of kindness in our own way. So Kindness doesn't represent perfection, but it does represent a point of view, I think, or at least in my opinion, where, you know, we're treating the people around us as if we wanted to be treated, you know, the golden rule. So that's the kind of message that I want to spread by talking with some of Baltimore's helpers. And there are thousands of helpers in the city. Like the city is literally held together by people going out of their way to extend kindness to other people. Now, some people may make it their job. Some people may do this, you know, volunteering, uh, various projects in their spare time. Um, me personally, I like to think of myself as like an aspiring helper. I don't feel like I'm like on a level as some of these other people that I might be talking to in this series, but I just want to identify examples of kindness and compassion. Like, People that, you know, in most of their, most of their time, they, they do what they can to make the world around them a better place. They're, they're leaving a legacy of just the positive things that many of us would say, uh, are, are great about humanity. So when I share a tweet like that, you know, I, I think it demonstrates that everybody around us does have value. Everybody's worthy of dignity and care. Now I know if you read some social media sites, like a lot of people that comment regularly on Baltimore sun articles or on Fox 45 stories, there's a contingent of people that probably disagree that, you know, not everybody's deserving of dignity and care. You got to earn it. And that's fine those people are capable of kindness too in their own way. And those people are valuable too in their own way. But my goal with the best kind is to give a platform to people who aren't threatened by the success of others who go out of their way to try to like, once they reach a level of success, I mean, even just like a small step up in Damien's case, Damien, you know, who I'll be talking to in a moment, like he, he was homeless for roughly a decade, but he's gotten to a point now, like where he's no longer in, he's no longer experiencing those challenges. 
And what he's chosen to do with his newfound privilege, I guess, if you want to call it that, is he's trying to lift other people up to his level. Those are the people that I feel qualified to help share their stories. And those are the people that I want to surround myself with, to be honest. I'm not perfect either, um, but I do aspire to be like the people uh, that I'll be interviewing on the best kind. And, and I aspire to be more like Damien. Damien's somebody whose story I think shows just how overwhelming the burdens of life can be for people who don't have a stable network of support. And I mean, we all have burdens that overwhelm us, but for some, it, it can be more challenging than others. I've never been homeless. Um, I've come close, you know, a few times financially when I was, you know, between jobs. But my impression of uh, people who kind of fall into homelessness is it happens when people, you know, flat out run out of resources or people they can count on in their networks to support them. And some people might argue, well, you know, if you just make better choices in life that, you don't have to worry about that. You know, just just make better choices. You'll be fine. And I think that's a little callous to say, because like Damien's story, you'll hear in a moment. He just had a series of events that, you know, it was like one after the other just stacked against him. And it was too much for him to bear as one person. So, you know, he suffered from a lot of harmful events that took him years to recover from. And what I admire about Damien and his story is that he really he's an example of someone that can persevere through hard times and make something good out of it. Like he he came to Baltimore. Um, he was kind of on an upswing, but not quite stable yet. He found a group of uh, supportive people like a community to tap into and, in the city and really helped him get going again. And because he's doing better and he's on his feet, he's in a position now where he wants to pull other people up to his level with him. And kind of in that spirit, like he got together with some friends a few years ago and they founded um, what's now known as the Baltimore Furniture Bank. This is a nonprofit organization that distributes furniture to low income households in the city and to families who are escaping homelessness or in the process of, you know, finding housing when they haven't had housing for a while. Um, I did say in the city, but they also distribute kind of in a radius. So uh, there are some outlying areas like in Baltimore County that they serve. And he'll talk about that. But. You know, this is something that sounds like a simple mission, you know, just distributing people or distributing furniture to people that need it. But it's a lot more complicated than that. And it can be an expensive project to undertake. So they are really depending on the support of uh, philanthropies and other funders in the city uh, for grants and donations and such. But they are getting that support and they're building a community of people around this furniture bank. And it's it really seems like they're growing pretty rapidly, um, not only because there's a need in the city for what they're providing, but also because they have a solid leadership team that's making a lot of uh, a lot of compassionate choices. And uh, I discovered them a few months ago 
because, you know, as I mentioned, they have a lot of donations coming in and one organization donated a new delivery van for them to deliver, deliver furniture with. And they've also received funding to construct what they call a renewal room at their warehouse, which is in Woodbury, I believe. Um, So this renewal room, and I didn't realize this until Damien told me, but when you get free furniture, sometimes particularly things like couches and furniture and, and stuff that has upholstery, it can come with bed bugs and other pests. So they put the furniture in this renewal room for a while and basically cook like they heat the furniture to a point where it kills all the pests. So that way they can, they can uh, deliver it to their clients and not spread those around, which is, I don't know. That's cool. I've never heard of such a thing, but I'm glad they're doing it. And they've also got some attention. uh, They're getting more attention lately because uh, WBAL published a story about them recently. The Baltimore sun published an article about them. So I have a feeling we're going to be hearing a lot more about Damien and the Baltimore Furniture Bank um, in the near future. So that's why I'm super grateful that he made time to talk with me. He's actually a really busy guy. Um, he carved out some time in between some meetings uh, one day. Uh, he, he was actually on a lunch break. So like I said, super grateful. Um, but now I'll let you hear what he's up to and how you can support their work at the Furniture Bank. Here's Damien Housling. It sounds like during the course of your life, and especially, I guess, the last you know few years or so, because uh, we talked a little bit about your background, um, you know, before we we got on this call, and then also, you know, just like reading about your bio, like on the Furniture Bank's website and that sort of thing. It sounds like you've had a lot of opportunities like this. How how did you reach a point where you're doing the work you're doing now? Well, I'll start with saying that you know when I when I uh, I went to college to get a degree and become uh, some kind of professional like most of us do. Um, I entered a giving type profession right after college. So it's something that I've all, I mean, I did, um, uh, of course, through parental um, uh, encouragement, I did a, a good amount of volunteer work while I was a youth before I um, was an adult. So I I'm a giving kind of person, right? So I was a teacher first out of college. and uh, You're a high school teacher, right? Right. I I loved it. Uh, I, there's nothing like seeing somebody's like reaction when some kind of topic that they didn't quite grasp prior prior suddenly happened. Uh, Suddenly they get it, right? The light bulb, right? A light bulb, right. The light bulb. And it's like, I love that. I mean, you can't pay me for that. I mean, there's nothing you can pay me for that. Um, and, um, and I, and I guess a little, that was more often happened when I did, you know, on the side tutoring, of course, right? Because that's when you're, um, uh, you don't necessarily get that at as much in the, in a classroom, uh, setting because you're, uh, uh teaching to 20 or so kids or more, or whatever. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, so it's always been in my in my DNA to do something that's a giving kind of thing, right? Um, do you think that like, came from like how you were raised, or is that just something you learned like in the course of going through school? Like, I'm curious, like who, like what kind of influences <laughs> brought you to that kind of mindset? Um. Uh, well, I, I certainly would take it. Uh, it would would it certainly happen 
have to be a little bit especially due to my upbringing as well so um um i um well it's not because i was adopted but i was adopted and all of my siblings all seven of us uh are adopted i'm not related by blood to any of my brothers um and um and we had a really pretty good upbringing so i mean i have friends who were adopted who had awful um uh, so i definitely um know that i have a charmed background in that case um and then and like i said a, a moment ago um uh you know i did some volunteer work at of course i don't think i would have volunteered to do the volunteer work but it was at, at around uh parental um uh encouragement and um I, i'll just bring one example um so uh, one of my brothers is um mostly deaf um uh I say mostly because he can hear a little bit and he will not sign with hearing people. He prefers to read lips and speak. And so for somebody with a sibling, for somebody with a sibling who is deaf, I'm really not that great at, at sign language. I, I'm certainly better than almost anybody else. <laughs> but he, because this is something that we, uh, as a family, decided to try to learn. But he didn't really, he only signs with other deaf people generally. So, um, and so, um, but anyway, so, um, partially because of that, um, uh, maybe that was a little bit issue, but, um, so during my summers starting in eighth grade, um, I volunteered at, uh, in a summer camp for, uh, for kids with, uh, with mental and physical disabilities. Um, uh, when I graduated high school, I was paid. It was, it's a paid position that you can do during the summer. I, I, uh, and of course, high school graduation, I think, is the, uh, the, bare, the bare minimum. Um, so I volunteered um, three or four summers before, before actually doing it as a, as a paid job for like two or three summers in college, right? Um, and, um, but and I had, had fun with that. Because it's always, you know, it's a summer camp for you too, in a way. <laughs> in a way. Sure. <laughs> um, but that's where you kind of caught the bug, I guess, to like you learn, I guess, through that type of position that you, you enjoyed helping others. Right. I mean, right. I mean, I mean, I, again, I think, and then for, I think it's probably the case with most other people who have that kind of, um, uh, uh, background or whatever. I'm not sure background's the right word, but, um, um, it's also fun. I mean, it's fun to, I mean, <laughs> when someone else smiles, you want to smile. So, I mean, really, I mean, <laughs> so um, there's, there's a little bit of self-gratification in that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so um, I, I ended up teaching as, I mean, that, that was an accident because I don't think I necessarily went to college to become that, but still. Um, and did, I Did you have I, a, a, a goal in mind when you started college? Like, was there a major you were interested in or how did how did that play out well um with you know i know a lot of us like when we go into college we don't necessarily know what we're doing we're just just like i guess we're supposed to go to college we think we or we think we know right yeah um i uh yeah um (laughs) um well first of all part of this might have to do with the fact that you don't know what what the uh, possibilities are out there right but um i sort of accidentally got an 800 on my sat math score <laughs> and and so i said okay i'm going to major math <laughs> oh boy i mean i mean not knowing that there's other possibilities out there and yeah, and, right. and and while i 
did, um, I actually didn't actually finish the math major. I went to a, a, a university, a, well, it was a college at the time. I went to Mary Washington College in, in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Mary Washington College no longer exists. The school is now the University of Mary Washington. I double majored in, psych- in, in uh, psychology and, and math. And I ran into a situation where uh, a class required for the math major was offered once and only once. And also a class required for the psychology major was offered once and only once. And they were at the same time. And the psych, cl- the psych class was more interesting. So that's always a pain um, to deal with. <laughs> so, right, right. So you eventually graduated um, from college and then you transitioned into your career as a high school teacher. Is that how that played out? Right. I, I started. Um, uh, so I also started a, um, a PhD program uh, in statistics um, and the at the, the same the, time. Were you teaching and in the program or did yes. one happen after the other? Yes. But so at the same time, however, um, statistics, is different than math. It's math based, of course, but yes. it's not the same. And I took all the statistics I, I could theoretically at, at, at my uh, at, in undergraduate. But there was plenty of work and actually some of it math related that I didn't have that I would that I needed to do before I could actually be there. So my first semester was actually a couple undergraduate math classes. But, you know, after a year and a half um, in the PhD program where I took a couple bit, bit a little bit of um, undergraduate stuff and then started grad work, um, although I don't have a master's degree, I essentially had a master's degree, um, okay. um, essentially, right? Sure. And, um, and they were looking for people to teach calculus and they wanted someone who had that kind of background. Um, the first year I taught for two years, the first year I taught the two calculus classes and one other, um, uh, um, I think it was algebra two or something like that. Um, and, and so I was actually a part-time teacher the first year. The second year um, I was still part-time, but closer to full-time. I taught the two calculus classes and and some, and a couple other classes. And so, yeah, I did pretty well. I liked it. Um, now, so when, so this is around the so the sec during close to the end of the second year is when my wife passed. So I my wife and her mother were killed by a drunk driver, and I. Oh, I'm um, sorry to hear that. Right. So I um, but even before that happened, I actually was seriously thinking about not going back to teach the next fall because um, I was not credentialed to teach, and so I was kind of an emergency teacher, mm-hmm. and. I could do that for two years. And then after that, I either have to be credentialed or I have to be actively go- getting those credentials. Well, the work at my grad work was getting, was going to get more involved. And then like, actually, I think if I had taught the third year, I don't think I, I, the fourth year would not have made any sense because that's, I would have been in research and it would it just wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so a third year might've been possible if this didn't happen, but I was, crazy i was just not going through well so so i did not return for the for a third year but i uh, one of the things is that if had i finished i did not finish my phd had i finished my phd i had this vision that i might i mean i could have done something else but um that uh if i ever if i taught um well first of all i, I would have a hard time finding a, a k through 12 system to, to you, you don't they don't te- they don't have they don't have phds there right. mm-hmm. <laughs> the only phds they have are people who who got their phd while in that career yeah. and and many of them are principals and things like that um, mm-hmm. um um they just they don't want to pay people what they're worth if after that so i recognize that but i 
but I enjoyed the act, the, the, teaching in general. So I actually really felt like um, if I returned to teaching, it would be at like a, a community college kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not want to go teach at a, like a big college where I wouldn't be teaching. I'd be doing research and have to write all this stuff. It's like, no. Uh, um, yeah. So that was one of the, that was what was in my mind had, had I actually finished down that line. You know, so I was also pretty young then, of course. So I was 30 almost 20 something. And um was still young enough not to understand how much you actually have to have saved to actually live and survive on savings and not have an income. Um, seems strange, but it's probably the case because the intent was to take a year off. I wasn't going to be working, um, well, working in any job paying capacity, I guess, right? Um, uh, because I began quote, working six or eight months later when I started to do, you know, reading and um, preparing myself to go back to school. Right. Um, but that's not something you pay for. Um, but around that same time is when I noticed, you know, the savings was going to like, <laughs> and so I ended up having to get a, a, a you know, just a part-time service job so I could keep my head above warm for a while. Um, and it was during that time that a, a, a misunderstanding at my, um, undergraduate alma mater led to an arrest for something that I didn't do. And um, by the time the charges were done, the jam- damage was done. It was, I had less resources. So, you know, uh, I couldn't pay rent. I couldn't pay this. I couldn't pay that. And uh, so I ended up homeless. Um, I mean, when, when people ask, you know, if someone asked me how I became homeless, I'll, you know, I, I might describe it and then say that, you know, m- maybe what happened to cause me to become homeless wasn't really my fault or just was an accident of, of issues. But, um, I certainly didn't handle it very well afterwards. Hmm. Um, in Rick- so you were still in Fredericksburg um, at this point, right? I was still, I was living in Fredericksburg at the time. And, um, um, uh, almost immediately, um, I'm skipping out some details, but almost immediately I moved closer into DC. Um, I, the idea was because at the time there really wasn't any, uh, I, I, I no longer had a vehicle and there was really wasn't any, uh, public transportation options in the Fredericksburg area. There is now, but it's not that great. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and so the only kind of work that I could have gotten for temporary work was was mostly service related jobs. Um, nothing against that, but uh, it was kind of harder to get some of those jobs because, you know, they're looking at someone who they're pretty sure is not going to stick around. <laughs> um, right. And and uh, 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 and so I figured, well, I'll get moving closer to DC. There's more resources to help somebody who is uh, uh, houseless and uh, and um, more better job options. And that's when I and. Uh, learned that um, yeah, there might be more resources for people to help people without homes, but um, there isn't that many resources to help people without homes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> um, and uh, so things went downhill from there, basically. How long did um, that period last for you? Like how long were you struggling with that experience of homelessness? Yeah, mostly uh, um, for the most part. was it part, off and on? It, 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 it was well, it was off and on, but it was mostly continuous, right? So, um, a decade, more than a decade. Mm. So, I, I turned to like shoplifting to like survive, quote unquote, and got caught a bit. <laughs> um, and so, I would, um, 
you know, end up in jail for a short period of times. The, the last time, the actual offense was in sometime in 2009. But because of what was going on, I didn't actually face the charges until the spring of 2011. Uh, uh, it was, uh, I had attempted to steal um, uh, around $150 worth of books and CDs. Uh, I was mostly, I mean, I stole other things, but I was mostly stealing books and CDs and eBay was my friend. <laughs> oh, to resell them. Yeah. Uh, so to resell, right. Um, right. I would resell them to purchase my metro tickets for the metro in the, in the, uh, in the subway system and, and occasionally buy food. Not, not, why don't I just sneak on the metro? Why don't I just steal the Because <laughs> at, at heart, you were still a lot, you wanted to be a law abiding citizen, I guess. At heart, at heart, it felt like I was law abiding. But the other thing, too, is that um, uh, I had started legally, quote unquote, selling my, my stuff on eBay prior to my homeless experience. So I think it was like an easy, that's where it was. But, you know, when I sit, I, I always bring that up when I sit back and think about what did I do with the money that I actually got? from from those sales and it was generally i bought my metro tickets i, I bought food and <laughs> I mean, the essentials the last uh criminal case uh was in montgomery county maryland and although um and although it was a misdemeanor the you know the value of the merchandise wasn't thousands of dollars uh, i think maryland has to be over a thousand dollars for for it to become a felony uh, and we we're talking a hundred dollars worth of stuff if that um, I was a um, repeat offender, um, and so they um, uh, they they used a, uh, a, a, a you know kind of law to uh, give you give me more time <laughs> essentially, uh, and so that's how I ended up in the um, uh, 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 in prison rather than just jail. The the actual sentence was five years with three suspended. Um, so I got a two year sentence and I was paroled and parole is, of course, early release. Um, I was able I was paroled after um, I think I served 13 months or something like that. I'm kind of picturing myself like if I were going through the experience that you described going through for, I mean, more or less a decade, like being in a situation where you're experiencing homelessness or unhoused, uh, you know, in and out of the criminal justice system, I if that were happening to me, I would, I would have like some serious self-confidence issues. Like, why is this happening to me? Like constantly questioning, like, why, why am I on this planet? Like, am I being punished for something? Like, did you so, go through any of that? So I guess there was a little bit of that. That's a good question. That's a good thought because, um, I, um, yeah, I, I yeah, I'm not sure how to, how to actually, say this but yeah I, I i had some thoughts and some doubts and wondering what's going on um and just um i mean i, I think I, I think i got almost started to say this a little bit earlier and i don't think i went down this route is that you know it wasn't it wasn't comfortable but i do remember that there was there were good long periods of time that i was just like okay this is how it's gonna be kind of i accepted it right kind of thing um and uh and so there was a bit of that too right um but yeah i mean i think i eventually you know some there was some time that i woke up and said you know i can't continue to do this or something like that and and basically 
try to work on stopping things, uh, stopping my uh, negative stuff and try to see, let me get, get, get back into uh, the swing of things. And I, it also felt like, and I know this is really com- technically true in a way, but it also felt like I was like at a disadvantage because um a lot of the easy support that you could find out there were stuff that didn't really uh, fit in my case because um, I already had a college degree. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, um, um, I did not live in poverty during my lifetime. So um, a lot of stuff, I mean, one, one of the things that, and I guess we can get, this will get towards how, uh, get towards the uh, furniture bank is time talking was one of the things that, um, that helped me that I, I'm pretty sure that there's very, very few other people who have this this experience that I have who would have this kind of support. And it's only because I, I have a family who's a little bit better off. I mean, look, I'm a little bit old. I'm, I'm one of the older brothers. So when I was going through this, of course, my younger siblings are either not in the know or they're in college or they're still in high school, but they're not going to help me. I mean, they're not going to be able to help me. Yeah, they were um, in positions where they could probably help you, I guess, at that right. point. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and, um, uh, and, um, so there was this eureka moment for my dad who did know, um, and helped in some ways that he could and just tried to let me do it, fix it myself too. But, um, there was this eureka moment for my dad one time and it was sort of a surprise for me at one time too. And this is still, uh, when I was in the DC area, not quite, not in Baltimore yet. Um, when um, I had secured a job at a local Taco Bell um, while I was homeless, right? Yep. Um, and um, showed up for work. Worked was generally a decent worker. Um, I had a colleague there at work, a young lady who was habitually late. You could expect her to be late. When she was on the job, she was generally a decent worker. So I guess it wasn't, too, and they, they just dealt with it, right? Um, but she was always like, <laughs> um, and then unbeknownst to me, the owner of that restaurant learned that I was experiencing homelessness at the time. And he had had a negative experience employing somebody who was homeless in his past. And what he apparently what he apparently told the the management there is as soon as Damien does something that's worth firing, fire him because mm. he didn't want someone he didn't want to have that. And uh, and of course I didn't know this. Um, and sometime later I don't know I, mean, I was only working there maybe four or five months, so this is not a very long time. Um, and so one particular day, um, I was about a half hour late because and didn't call i mean just showing up late is not worth usually no late and no call right well i didn't have a cell phone at the time um most i mean now nowadays generally folks experiencing homelessness they generally actually have phones Mm -hmm. um and this is um and this is also at the time that the subway system in dc only one particular phone carrier had uh, could work underground. So even if I had a phone, I might not have been able to use it. Um, I see. And so I was, I took, I was, there was a delay in the metro system. And if I thought that it made a difference, I would have tried to find someone on the phone, on the, 
on the on the on the on the train who had I think it was Verizon who had a Verizon phone so that I can call in to say hey I, I might be a little bit late uh, and and what happened is just when I when we eventually got to the to my to the to the metro stop that I need to go to there was a bus that I needed to take to to for, to finish the trip to that. Um, and of course that's, I missed the bus that I needed mm. because the next bus would get me there a little bit late. And, and that's what ended up happening. Um, um, and, and so they dismissed me for not, for being late and not showing up yeah. and, and not calling ahead. I was like, I mean, my first reaction was, well, this is, that's, act, that's a good, that's okay. Um, but I thought, I mean, are you kidding? I, I don't remember her name. Jane, whatever her name is, Jane shows up late all the time. And, and I said, all right, fine. All right, that's it. And so a couple of weeks later, uh, when I returned to get my last paycheck, because um, it was generally, you know, not acrimonious in, in, a, in other ways, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, my interaction is with the management, the day-to-day management, who actually was not happy to see me go. <laughs> mm. uh, they were... They really wanted them there. And, and, and when I went to get my last paycheck, she pulls me aside and explains to me what, what actually happened. And I just sat there going, what? <laughs> um, and when I told my dad that, he was stunned. You know, you've gone through these experiences and like you, I guess you had moments where, you know, it was certainly challenging, but at some point, I guess there was a turn. Like what, right. what was it that so, helped turn things so, around? So the biggest turn, I mean, I mean, it's more than just this, but the biggest turn happened when I came to Baltimore. So when I came to Baltimore, I got, um, I, I, I was, uh, paroled to a, basically a program. Um, um, uh, it didn't last, <laughs> but, um, won't go into that because it's too, uh, not, really that important but sure. but after that didn't last i was returned to homelessness but because i was um you know out and my parents were now trying interested in trying to keep me uh uh um uh to succeed um that that offer came up again so let's see about seeing if we can find you a place and we'll take care of the rent for a little bit um uh and while you try to get a job and and start over and that's really generally what happened. Um, now, um, that actually didn't last it, it, um, because I ended up having to have certain. It was, I think the agree. I think the agreement was two to three months of rent, and then I'd be on my own, right? Uh, but like almost right after getting that, uh, getting this health, housing, I had um, I had to have some surgery. Um, another story for another time, um, which kept me down a little bit longer. So, um, and then uh, the jobs search wasn't working too well and so i ended up going ahead and just going back on to uh back into homelessness um but with with an eye at um it's probably going to be really short <laughs> um and it ended up being really short because i got into a, a, a another housing program through um so one of the things that happened when i was in jail when i knew i'd be coming to baltimore um i was generally unfamiliar with baltimore i've been here before but but hadn't lived here but um i, I was told about a per uh, a uh, program that helps folks in poverty here called beans and bread um i've heard of uh, that it's a, it's a program with under under st vincent de paul so vincent paul is a non-profit that has lots of different programs and one of their programs is beans and bread and i was uh so i ended up going there um and among the things that one of the things that happened when i was there is i met a um uh so there was a council there 
not a counselor. Uh, can't remember what her position is, but um, who helped me get into a, uh, a, a housing program that uh, I was housed with for a couple of years. Um, ended up leaving that because uh, 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 they blamed me for bed bugs. How can you blame a person for bed bugs? But that's another story. Um, and then at that time, so all, all this time was, so now we're talking about a two or three year period. Mm-hmm. And through most of that time, I'd done lots of different kinds of volunteer work or small little jobs for pay and all that stuff. And a lot of the volunteer work I did was in, in um, was anti-poverty related was um, also, I, I, I um, uh, went down to Annapolis to speak uh, uh, for and against bills and stuff that to fight poverty and other things related. I even changed a uh, Senator's mind on a bill. Wow. Well, well, that's intriguing because, you know, we, when we were talking about your experience, like for that decade or so, um, when you were experiencing homelessness and that sort of thing, I don't know if you were active, like in those sorts of volunteer efforts, but it may be most of the time now, but now it's like when you moved to Baltimore, it sounds like something motivated you to get back into that kind of work. Yeah. But well, and in this case, it wasn't back into that kind of work. It was to join that kind of work, right? So, um, yeah. Well, I guess so, I, I'm um, just saying, I'm thinking back to your summer camp days, like, you know. Well, but this is, well, I mean, it's. I mean, I understand it's different and it's it, like it's way different. in the future. Yeah. And it's different, yeah. Um, and, right. But, I mean. But still in that spirit of wanting to get uh, back uh, to help people. Right. Uh, well, including myself, right? Um, I, yeah, and sure. So, so among that work was yeah. also also working with um, a, a nonprofit called a Word on the Street, which is a street paper here in the state in in the city. Uh, it's it folded because of financial issues, but at that place, I met the guy who you've seen walking by occasionally, my roommate. That was Tony, He's my right? warehouse. That's Tony, my warehouse manager, right? Um, and another colleague, John. And the three of us, there was a conversation back somewhere in like the 2013 or 14 about. How, I mean, how awful it was that people couldn't find furniture when they're starting to get back into housing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, th- and wouldn't it be so nice, wouldn't it be so great if there was some kind of furniture bank or something like that in here? We didn't really move on that at the time, of course. Uh, was there any so that, inspiration for that idea? Like, because uh, I, I know there's one in Hunt, isn't there one in Hunt Valley, like a similar program? So there is, uh, I don't so, know if you, I don't know if it was around at that time or if you'd heard of it or any of that. So I, I don't think we had heard of it at the time, right? Um, and so yeah, there is something up. It's a it's a, a faith based. It's up in uh, Hunt Valley. There's also mm-hmm. one. Um, there's also one in um, uh, Harford County, uh, but the one in Harford County only does Harford County, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and there's a smaller. There's an even smaller something in Anne Arundel uh, as well. Um, but when we talk about when I talk about furniture banks, I'm thinking large scale organization. Mm-hmm. There's really only other one other one in Maryland. That's that's a wider circle in Silver Spring. OK. And um, and so, of course, it's seen as the D.C. one. Right. Mm-hmm. And but so, there wasn't one in Baltimore when you had this idea. There wasn't one in Baltimore when we thought about this. Right. Or, or, or major one, because there's also uh, so St. Vincent Paul, the church. So the church that's at, in the city that's right next to the shot tower. They have a um, uh, like a small committee in that in that church co- co- um, congregation that has a, um, a like a, a, a they a resource exchange is what they call it. Um, but they 
Um, so it's a small and they only, but they only work with clients from healthcare for the homeless. So only certain people can get help from them. Um, so there are, and there's probably, a, probably some, there's probably another one out there that we don't know about that's sure. close by that's, that's really small. Right. But what's, I think uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think what's different about your model is it's more based on referrals and it's not something like a goodwill or a salvation army. Like you actually, you work with case managers and social workers and that sort of thing who have clients that are in need of uh, the furniture that you have in your warehouse. Is that, is that accurate? That, that is accurate. So I'm, I'm uh, the reason why I'm like starting to look up is I'm trying to think here for a second. Um, so the one in Silver Spring will take self referrals. Um, I, 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 um, I've, I heard that. Um, and all the other smaller ones probably do in some way. Um, the, again, the exception of, of St. Vincent Paul, which would, they only work with case managers from, from uh, healthcare for the homeless. Um, but well, furniture banking in general is not something new. There are furniture banks all over the, the country and of course in, uh, in North America. And if you look around at what they, what they do, there's a mixture of, of how they do things, right? And some take self-referral, some don't. Uh, and so, um, um, I mean, I think our, our, our goal, our model at the beginning is to, so, I mean, we're getting furniture to people who need it and don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. That's the big picture. Well, the issue, the problem is, is that if you have a def- definition like that and you have a city like Baltimore, that's half the city or more, right? And so if we said anyone who needs furniture and, and don't have resources, let, give us a call, we'd never get anything yeah, done. You'd be answering phones all day. We'd be answering phones and emails all day, right? So, um, uh, and so, I mean, maybe, and this is maybe, and this is me talking, not my other three colleagues, yes. maybe in a few years, we'll have a way for people to do to do a self-referral. I don't really think that's going to happen because, because, I mean, really, there's a very high, very high need. Yes. And, um, and also there's an issue with um, – with supporting the or supporting the project uh, financially, mm-hmm. because you've got to. I mean, you can't. I mean, there are. I've I've noticed that the other thing is that there are furniture banks out there that are completely volunteer run. Mm-hmm. There are furniture banks that have some paid some, you know, and all that stuff. And it is relatively clear to me that we could not do this with only volunteers. Why is that? It, well. I mean, I know that's a complicated answer, but I, I it's it's complicated. It I think I think we could eventually. Oh wait, how about this? I think it possibly could eventually happen that way, but not from the beginning, right? Because basically, essentially, one of my thoughts is when before you talked about the. Uh, I don't know if it's part of the recording, but you talked about one of the things that uh, piqued your interest was, oh, they got a vehicle now, right? That kind of thing, right? Um, so, well, we were doing this for a couple of years with no vehicle. Right. Yeah, you so, started in, in a garage, right? Right. We started in a, a single car garage. So that car. So the third co-founder uh, is John Deveca. He works. He runs a radio station at Loyola. Um, and 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 how he got involved in the word on the street and and therefore met me and Tony and others um, is um, there's a radio program that they have at, at the Loyola radio station called Both Feed In, which is interviews with folks who've experienced homelessness. It's a half-hour interview with somebody. And, is that online? Um, I have to, I've been meaning to check that out. It is online. It, it is online. 
okay. uh, he, the, the radio, you can listen to the radio station online. Okay. Right? I'll check that out. Um, um, and, um, I don't know if there's somebody currently man doing those interviews. So if there's interviews being played, they are repeat interviews. Okay. Um, but there's an archive um, release. I'll check it wrong. out. Yeah, I could be wrong. And I was interviewed for that. So, <laughs> um, so through that work, he, he, um, he and others at the college got involved with, um, inviting the faces of homeless speakers bureau to come to campus. Uh, I left this out earlier is that, so my initial, so when I got, um, and this actually came from a connection at Beans and Bread. There was a young lady there when I first uh, started going there who was uh, serving an AmeriCorps VISTA per, uh, term, um, doing, among other things, working to build a furniture, uh, furniture excuse me, speakers bureau here in the city, uh, which I, I got involved in the beginning as a speaker because so um, one of the days that I was uh, at at beans and bread, sitting in the waiting room, hanging my head in shame in the corner after getting my behind hit handed to me in chess. <laughs> um, uh, Joanna, the young lady, Joanna comes out and who had who had uh, we had had previous connection because, like I said, she did other things there, and one of the things she did is she was uh, she helped um, me put my resume back together, and she herself, this young person just out of college, was like. You you went to graduate school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so she already knew me from that, but she saw me uh, not being not too happy in the corner and invited. Hey, you know, I'm going to this this meeting. If you would just like to come on, I said sure, whatever. And it happened to be a, a speakers bureau meeting. This is how I got involved with that. And at the, the, to finish that that line, at that time, those meetings were every Wednesday at, at the uh, at the St. Vincent Church, actually. And uh, I showed up one Wednesday for my speakers bureau meeting, and which normally had like ten or fifteen people there. And I walk in and there's like fifty people in the room, and I'm like, "What's going on?" And it turned out that they were holding a word on the street meeting. This is the street oh. paper I just talked about. I thought I it was because up- you were speaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, these meetings weren't necessarily speaking engagements. These were powwows to practice speaking and talk about you know, related things and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, so there's like 50 people in the room and like, what's going on? And, and a couple of people said, Oh, well, actually we didn't tell you this for sure because we wanted to try to see if you, uh, uh, to get you involved in this, every, all these people in the room. And they said, Oh yeah, it's actually a word on the street meeting today. We canceled the, the speakers meeting. We shouldn't tell you about it. And I said, Oh, well, <laughs> and so all right, well, I'll, I'll stay and sit around. But I'm trying to wrap you in. Um, and, and of course that's how, that's how I got roped in actually. (laughs) Um, so all of this um, led up to you, you and John and Tony identified the need for the furniture bank. Right. So shortly after that, so shortly after the conversation, uh, it happened actually after there was a gentleman who, so most of the people who sold the paper, uh, the newspaper are people, uh, who are homeless or in poverty. And there was, uh, there was two guys, uh, one particular or two guys who did really well with it. Um, uh, one of them used his proceeds to, um, uh, take a CDL class and ended up getting a job with the, uh, food bank t- driving trucks. Uh, he now actually works with the f- furniture bank, by the way, but, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but the other guy who was also relatively successful had gotten him, gotten enough, gotten enough resources to I me, mean, not a lot, but enough together to, uh, um, pairing with, uh, I think a disability, uh, check he was getting so he could actually look at maybe probably getting housing, but it was just no, 
no furniture kind of thing. And that's, that's actually when that conversation happened, right? And so a little bit later, the front paper folded because of, you know, financial issues. I went and got a real job um, and, uh, and then moved on, right? And so uh, two years later, after I got laid off from that real job and during my job search again, uh, the conversation came up again. This was in the, basically the spring of 2017. And John, Tony, and I just said, you know, let's start that furniture bank. <laughs> let's do it kind of thing, right? Uh, so for around two years, it was mostly a, a you know, like a, a passion project on the side for us because um, didn't have much support out there. Sure. The, the, the single car garage, uh, that, that's what, the single car garage. So John, as I said, he works at the radio station there. The radio station at the college used um, around 50, I don't know what the cost was, but something like $50 or so, around $50 a month to pay for that storage unit for us for the for the garage for us while we sort of operated all that um i had you know a couple other couple part-time on the side jobs so i could like stay housed and not not be homeless Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and uh, and uh chased uh, a couple small grants so the first one um uh, so i uh the that full-time job that i had that i got laid off from was is a place called baltimore core and Baltimore Corps has a, um, um, among other things, they have a, a, a seed grant program called the Elevation Award. Uh, it's ten thousand dollars for um, uh, folks of color um, trying to have an idea to mm-hmm. improve their. All right. Uh, so in two thousand seventeen, I immediately tried for that. Didn't get it. Don't remember. Don't know why. Shame on them. <laughs> uh, I, I tried again in 2018 and got it. Um, uh, and so we got a $10,000 grant. When when that grant ha- when I got that grant, we moved from that single car garage over to uh, the Langston Hughes Community and Business Center in Park Heights, in Northwest Baltimore. Uh, it's an old school, uh, and so we were renting uh, a classroom size room for our um, for the furniture bank. The idea. I, in my mind, I think, and I think in the other's minds was this is our start. Maybe in a couple of years we'll get, we'll move bigger and bigger and bigger. But I mean, within a month or two, we got an off, uh, we, uh, a Perry Moving Services, Baltimore Moving Company, uh, reached out to say, Hey, uh, we have eight tractor trailer foot trucks full of dorm furniture from American University. How much would you like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was the same reaction I had. I said, Sitting in my room, looking around in my packed room, thinking, "Yeah." Oh goodness! And basically, said, when, when, "When can I tell you?" And uh, through some connections, through John and some others, we got some donated space um, here in the city, so we could take that that donation. Um, then I and um, shortly after getting that donation, I won the OSI fellowship. But I tried. I I tried in 2018 and failed. But tried in 2019 and got it. Um, and so. Um, in the fall of 2019, when I got that fellowship, uh, we were in the in the process of doing uh, basically community giveaways with this with this uh, with this um, dorm furniture. And the idea was this is a good way to introduce ourselves in a way, and then I would start looking for further uh, support so that I can start renting a place and all that stuff. They, that donated space was was in, was initially only intended to be until the end of the year. We ended up being there until the end of 2020. <laughs> 
but most of that is is COVID related. Sure. Um, we ended up. Um, I think what happened is we 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 were able to stay a little bit longer, and then in February, right before the pandemic, the the landlords there said, "Okay, uh, um, we." Um, we have a we have a plan for that space um, now, uh, so we're looking at maybe two to four months. Could you be out in that? And we said, great, no problem. And then, of course, almost immediately after that, that's when the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And nothing happened, and um, and so by the end of that year, which is last year, by the end of 2020, we we got our warehouse space in uh, in uh, Woodbury. So, uh, so we're in 10,000 square feet in the uh, Maryland Book Bank building. Um, uh, That's so yeah, great. so yeah. <laughs> so uh, you're at a point now where it seems like you're, and you you kind of mentioned this before. Like there's such a demand in the city for what you're offering. It just seems like you're growing and growing. Like uh, you know, we talked, yeah. and you mentioned too. Like uh, we talked before we got on the call about uh, you know you had this new van, and you just uh, you just uh, opened this renewal room, and it it's just like exciting to follow along to see like all this progress that you've made, like together with, you know, the leadership team. And uh, it's just really cool to see like it, the difference that you're making. Cause I, I can imagine you have all kinds of stories, like, you know, people's lives you've touched. Like, do you, do you have a favorite one? Like, do you, do you have one? That, yeah. My favorite, there's a really good favorite one. Um, um, and this is back in our earlier days. Um, and one of the times I was there at my desk, um, one of the ladies, uh, an older lady who had got gotten uh, furniture in in the past from us, came essentially in tears, thinking, "You got to see this beautiful bedroom I now have with for my I think it was her grand nephew or something like that. Um, her grand nephew, two grand nephews. Um, they were in a. They both had twin beds prior, um, and um, but the room was so small that the didn't have that much room and all that stuff and and being able to bunk the beds um was, gave them gave them more room and she was very thankful that it's one of my favorite ones i always Aww. remember that one. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> that sounds awesome ones. yeah i don't get to experience a lot of that as much i mean uh, hopefully you might be able to get get, get to talk with tony but he gets to see that a lot more often because he's out there doing more of the physical stuff i'm the one sitting behind uh, talking to all the case managers and stuff i don't get to see that much of the uh uh, 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 giving stuff. <laughs> Are you the numbers guy? <laughs> I mean, it would make sense given your background. Well, a little bit so, but I don't really. Um, but one of I, uh, one of my uh, colleagues on my um, team is a retired financial analyst, so she takes care of Camille. The, yeah, Camille, right? She does the money stuff for. Uh, Got does it. Really good job, okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess since since my work with the furniture bank and the furniture bank, excuse me, with the speakers bureau and with word on the street and all that stuff, I've gotten, I've become more of an outreach guy too. So I, I do work, I do pretty well reaching out to the uh, case managers and, 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 and all that good stuff. So, nice. or, well, actually mostly it's reaction. They're, they're reaching out to us because <laughs> they find out about us and they say, Hey, I got a client. And, mm-hmm. and we, we say, okay, we got furniture. <laughs> So speaking of that, I, I can imagine some people will hear this and they'll think, wow, you know, I have some furniture I want to donate, or I know somebody that could use your service. Like what is the best option or the options if there's more than one, like to, to get in touch with you about something like that? Uh, so the, the, the best way to reach out to us is the email. So it's Baltimore furniture bank at gmail.com. Yeah. So um, you'll get an auto response with some information and then a personal response, usually within a day or two, um, usually 
faster than that. The, um, there is a phone number, and I'm happy to give it to you. Um, our phone number is 443-424-7798. But because we don't really have someone who can answer the phone and, um, and the volume, all incoming calls go directly to voicemail. And we do, if you leave a message, we return the phone, we return the call. The issue is, is that it has sometimes taken five six days to return phone calls it is not yeah. ideal to use i can imagine phone. with the volume yeah right and it is um it's also best it's, it's also so the, from anyone who doesn't have email access most people have a have a uh, smartphone i guess right and can text you can text to that number and it's just like emailing so if someone is actually in the email at the time reading emails and all that stuff and sees the text come in they may be able to respond a little bit sooner so the order of the fastest way is email. Second fastest would be text. And then the, uh, and then the final way would be uh, by phone. If it's, if it's somebody who is in need, if somebody is in need of furniture, um, if you're reaching out because you or your family needs furniture, we're going to unfortunately have to tell you that we can't take self-referrals. So we're going to need to have your social worker or case manager to reach out to us. And the best way, of course, is by email. The ones who know us already know how to do it. And the ones who don't, they'll send us an email and we'll get them hooked up, right? Um, So if you need furniture, um, uh, reaching out on your own is not, I mean, you can do it, but (laughs) we'll we'll share how to do that. Got it. Uh, If you have furniture to donate, uh, it's, it's most best way to email with the items that you have to donate. So these are the kinds of things that we're looking for. We are looking for beds. We are looking for dressers. We are looking for bedside tables, couches, love seats, arms, armchairs, um, smaller, smaller dining and kitchen tables with chairs. Uh, you'll notice that's where I stopped. Um, that is not an exclusive list, but that is essentially an exclusive list. <laughs> so if you have something that's not on that list and you want to donate it, please, when you, when you reach out to us, let us, uh, you know, tell us what it is and include a photo. In fact, you probably best include photos of anything and everything you have. Um, uh, I did mention beds, but I will say that we can't take um, king size beds. So, um, so basically storage space. Well, number one, the the typical client is not moving into a place that that can accommodate. Oh, right. Some of them can't accommodate. Some of them can't even accommodate a queen. But, um, but also, yeah, it is storage. We only have, I mean, I say 10,000 square feet and people say, oh, that's a lot of space. No, it isn't. I'm sure it fills up quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're already basically full. In fact, actually right now, as, as, as we're, as we are uh, taping this, um, anyone reaching out to make a donation of furniture is getting an auto response saying, reach back in a couple of weeks. And um, uh, because, We've just got a little bit too much stuff at the moment. We're trying to focus on getting that sorted and getting some of that out. We have a good number of referrals that we're trying to do too. Um, and one thing, and I'm all, I, I would be remiss for not to not share this. We always need money. <laughs> I was going to ask. I know you, you can need, or you can use uh, donations. Yes. Yes. We always need money. Uh, we have um, pretty expensive warehouse. We have um, four, uh, four 
robust uh, employees who I'd love to pay full-time. We can only really pay them part-time. Um, I'm not drawing a salary at the moment because we don't have enough resources. So I have a second job to uh, keep myself from being uh, homeless and, and poor and all that stuff. Uh, it would be nice to, so I could um, uh, focus more on this work because, you know, some things have, uh, have to get put on the back burner because I can't, can't work all the time on this. Um, and so we're, but yes, we're hoping to expand. We, we do have a limited, uh, uh, area that we can serve at the moment, but that's, uh, I'm hoping it that's only temporary because that's because we're limited. (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Are you offering services citywide or is it just in certain areas of the city? Oh, thank you for this. Thank you for the question. So yeah, we will serve. And, and I mean, we'll, we'll, it would be criminal not to do it citywide, I, I would think. <laughs> but yeah, so we do citywide, but we don't do a whole lot more. We'll, we'll serve um, roughly up to about 15 miles from our warehouse in the city. So almost Columbia-ish to the south and west. I mean, I'm basically, I mean, really it's a case-by-case basis when it comes to outside of the city. Got it. Um, we do, I mean, the furniture is free for the clients, um, and we're hoping that it's going to be free for the clients totally. But um, we would not be we would not be able to survive if we did not charge a small cost to the referring organizations who uh, refer the clients. Uh, and, and we do understand that on occasion they're passing it on to the client, which is not. It's not ideal, but case. I mean that's it's that's the ideal, cost right? of business. Yeah, it's the cost of business, right? Um, and and so. Um, uh, one of the hopes is one of my hopes uh, is to reduce or eliminate that. Um, uh, and so uh, and that's where donations can come in handy. That's yeah. where donations. That's where um, and grants. My this grant writer. <laughs> um, and, and well, one of the other things is that in the in the uh, fall of two thousand nineteen, when we really started moving, that's when I won the uh, the fellowship for this. Um, you know, there was a. I, my goal was, I mean, I had this plan of what I was going to be doing, which didn't happen because of the pandemic. And, um, and I would have thought that by now we would be holding an annual, annual gathering, you know, to, you know, to party and raise money. Like a, like a gala. <laughs> like a gala or something. Can't do that yet. <laughs> I haven't been able to do that yet. Um, you'll get there. I'm pretty but, confident uh, you'll get there. Right. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, if we don't get there, then we probably won't succeed because you know we can't get grants forever, <laughs> and um, and somehow, I mean, it's you know we've done a done a budget and it's pretty conservative. It's not cheap. <laughs> yeah. I have been trying to practice uh, something. This phrase I've seen online, and I don't know if you've seen this too, but. It's this phrase giving your giving your flowers. No. It's apparently from uh, this old Kanye West song that he 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 wrote about Jay Z, like uh, give people their flowers while they can still smell them. Okay. I was wondering if you'd be willing to uh, highlight the people that you think have helped you the most, like get to where you are today. Oh yeah, there's already a handful of people I could think about. <laughs> oh, do they have to be in Baltimore though? No. <laughs> Just, I mean, people you've encountered in your life that like made a difference, made an impact. Um, well, first, I'm going to tell you the, about the person that I don't remember their name. And I really, really want to try to remember the name eventually. Um, uh, and so this is when this is when I was um, 
young college student. Uh, so I lived in Loudoun County, Virginia, uh, around a 45 minute drive into DC. And one day I drove into town alone, drove into DC alone. Uh, I was living with my dad, uh, drove into DC alone to attend a concert at the nine 30 club. Um, I had fun at the concert, right? Uh, and as I was driving back, um, uh, my car, uh, was disabled, uh, just before I entered it into Loudoun County from Fairfax County. So basically Sterling Reston area or something like that on route seven. And, uh, it ended up being an a oil issue that I didn't go able to go. Oh, that car died by the way. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so a random guy pulled by, uh, I went to a hotel for the night and, um, and we towed the vehicle to a, a garage nearby and he came back to the hotel the next day. Um, well, actually I think he made, he told me he would do this. Today, so it wasn't a surprise. Um, so I was still a good, I mean, at the time my, my dad lived in Western Loudoun County, which at the, from there was, you know, a good at least half hour longer. And, you know, I, my, my dad's a retired scientist worked for the government and, you know, we're not in, we're in pretty good place. <laughs> so, um, uh, 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 and so he drove me home that, that, that day. Wow. I, I kept tell I, I told him, no, I can call my dad. I mean, I can call, call my brother and my dad. Um, cause he was, I mean, I was like, this is not Leesburg. <laughs> you're going to, because, uh, Leesburg is a well-known t- town in the County. It's, um, 15 or 20 miles or 15 or 20 minutes, excuse me, from Sterling where I was, but we were going to be driving to Lovettsville, which is the other side of the County. <laughs> um, and he, nope, he said, Nope, I'll drive you home. And, and so he did. Um, and wow. wouldn't take a wouldn't take anything for it. And this is somebody that I I mean it, it's come it's strange how that's the one person. Well, I mean I remember other things. That's another. That's somebody I remember um, uh, uh, from a long time ago. Um, so not really related to my story, but but uh, but I remember well, that. I mean, it's, it's those kinds of people that we cross paths with because I've had I have similar stories too. And uh, I mean, for me, those are the kind of people like that have informed like my view of humanity, just that they took the time out of their, out of their lives. Cause they, yeah, and this guy was too. a family. Oh, he did. He did. So before driving me out, we stopped by his home because he obviously wanted to tell his family what he was doing. And like, he's a family. He's a, he's a dad with two kids. And I think it was two kids, maybe three or whatever. And he's a young, I mean, <laughs> wow. <what the laughs> um, that's impressive. So another person would be my dad. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah, going to ask I mean, you, like, what what does he think well, about really your story parents, now? Well, really both, really both parents. Well, they're they're generally uh, really um, generally proud of me, I guess. <laughs> they did a pretty good job with all of us, I think. <laughs> um, uh, so more locally, um, there's a yeah, couple is there, any, is there anybody in Baltimore that you admire, like any other organizations or people that you'd like to shout out? Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a long list, I guess. Um, um, yeah, right. Yeah, well, so there's a lot, but, but I will say that, um, you know, there's a, 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 this person would probably not want me to say their name because they were kind of um, giving on the side kind of thing in a way. So, but I had a person who, who uh, allowed Tony and myself to stay with him for several months. 
while we each of us had a small job, but not enough to really, you know, rent rent anything. While we were, you know, basically still trying to get rejoined society, kind of thing. And um, and and he 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 gives a lot to other in in other ways too. He, That's awesome. Um, and he's here in the uh, city. You said he's here in the city. Um, um. Well, he knows who he is. <laughs> he knows who he is. Yep. Um. Yeah, That's yeah. awesome. Um, and there's a couple other people like that. Uh, a couple other people like that. I I've actually made contact with my natural family, and um, and um, uh, have a really well. He's younger, but he feels like he's older. Uh, I have a younger brother that I'm kind of getting pretty close to too. But um, uh, I remember relatively recently, a couple of years ago, um, talking to who's a shopkeeper actually, who was doing a little thing about who do you who do you admire um and asking people to write and tell me write about that and everyone had all i mean all the ones that you would see up there are, are famous people and, and many many of them were you know i'm sure they have like, reasons to be admired like, yeah like like you know mother Teresa and i mean all the ones that you would think of right um and then um and uh, but then when he sees me write down, I just put my parents, <laughs> um, didn't know what I didn't necessarily want to put. And he's like, what? <laughs> and I said, well, I mean, it's the first thing I think of. And I, and it's a shot and it's kind of a surprise to me a little bit that, um, um, that didn't occur to some people. I know some people have, um, horrible experiences when they're in, in growing up, but I, I still, um, I still ultimately think that most people, their parents are probably their biggest, <laughs> uh, their biggest fans and, mm-hmm. and, and they, then. so, but, sure. um, so, so it's kind of a surprise. Right. I don't know if you noticed, but I knocked this, uh, I have a lamp clamped to the back of my stool. And I knocked it off while I was talking to Damien. Uh, like I said, I'm not perfect, but oh well. Anyway, thank you to Damien Housling for making time to talk with me. Uh, super cool guy. And I love the mission behind the Baltimore Furniture Bank. Like I said, I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about them in the future. If you want to learn more now and keep up with what they're doing, maybe get involved with the organization, check out BaltimoreFurnitureBank.org. And if you'd like to follow updates from the best kind, if you'd like to tell me what you thought of this episode, um, subscribe uh, for new episodes, either on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts, check out the website, bestkindpod.com. And with that, I'll say thank you for checking out this episode. I appreciate you being here. And above all else, thank you for being kind today. Take care. Have a good one.